0: You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast studio in beautiful downtown Salisbury here at Backcountry and Beyond. Um, We are here on the Campfire Conversations podcast today to talk to you about our Sportsman's Access Program we're right in the middle of summer we just had july 4th so i know everyone out there listening is still in summer mode still tending your veggie gardens but if you're like the folks i have sitting at the table here with me today your mind is starting to drift towards cooler mornings some time in the woods time to start shaking down all your gear to get your food plots right to make sure your stands are hung make sure your camera batteries are charged up um so today on the podcast, we got Katie Stovall, our Conservation Lands Manager. Hello, everyone. And we got an SAP member, Jordan Linger, a good friend of mine. I've known Jordan, how long, when did we meet? That would have been in like 2017?
2: Uh, Six years. Yeah. yeah. It's been about six years. Jordan
1: um, is a long time as the sales manager at Fiddle and Fish Brewing, right? Correct. Yeah, so that is where I headquartered my food truck for the last about... 18 months of its operation I stayed there full time and Jordan and I got to know each other really well during that time spent a lot of time at work doing various things but also have spent a lot of time in the woods together so we're gonna get into a couple of things today uh the first thing I want to cover for all you SAP members out there listening and actually when Jordan came in this morning I was like hey have you bought your tickets yet if not wait until July 19th so this will be released on July 19th so starting today we are running a promo called 12 Days of Christmas in July where as an SAP member, every lottery entry that you buy will give you an extra ticket. So if you buy one lottery entry, you you receive five tickets instead of four. If you buy two, you receive 10 tickets instead of eight. That promotion is going to run through midnight on July 19th to 1159 p.m. on July 31st. So make sure to get in, buy your draws, get some extra tickets. No time like the present. And we're not setting a limit um, on when you can use those tickets. So you can buy those now. They can be used in our winter draws or spring draws as well as the fall draw. Just wanted to clear that up. I know we've had some questions in the past about eligibility for promo tickets, but we're going to let those be used in fall, winter, or spring 24. So get online, buy them early and often. Um, We're also currently running a raffle promotion for SAP members that if you buy a lottery draw set of four tickets you will or excuse me if you buy a raffle ticket you get one extra lottery ticket to add to your draw so say you on july 19th you're an sap member you log on you buy a lottery draw entry you're going to get five tickets if you also buy a raffle ticket you'll get six tickets total so we're throwing extra tickets in there trying to increase your draw chances trying to increase the funds we can raise for local conservation so katie can get out onto these properties do the work manage the lands make the habitat great you know just everything that needs to happen it all starts with you guys and the contributions you make to three rivers so thanks to everybody who has done that already and if you haven't no time like the present um with that said katie i want to kind of pass to you for a second to get into some changes around The point property this year and what the fields are going to look like. We did some thinning in the off season. We've done burns on a lot of our properties to kind of talk us through what members can expect to see new in the fall of 23.
0: Yeah so if you pull up to the point and you haven't been there in quite some time um, once you come through the red gate and start down the paved road it may look a little different Um, and it should be pretty obvious when you first pull in. So when you first pull in the point start driving down that uh, paved road over to the left there's always been a pine stand there. Well, there's still a pond stand there, but it's pretty thin. Um, So we actually went through, and that was a second thinning that we conducted on that pond stand. So there's still overstory trees, but the intent of that thinning was to open up the canopy and let sunlight reach the ground so that way we could really promote a herbaceous um, component on the forest floor. Um, And that would be really, really, really really good cover for uh, game birds, as well as deer, fawning cover, all of the above, and then we'll start burning that as soon as the weather is right. So whether that's the late growing season between August, September, or even um, early next year, January, February, whenever the weather's conducive. Um, So that's one thing that looks a lot different. Um, Some of the fields, uh, you know, there's a lot of agriculture fields out there. Those will actually be in soybeans this year. So um, right now there's wheat that's currently being harvested uh, this week, and then we'll be going back in immediately after and planting soybeans in all those fields. So a little bit of a change there as well.
1: Yeah, it made me wish there was a summer dove season when I saw the, what the birds were doing when Brent was out there cutting that wheat. I drove by there, um, this was probably a week or two ago, and man, they were just piling in.
0: Every time, Yeah, every time. So that's a good field for it.
1: And we were, uh, when you, so the the thinning happened on, right there by the gate, that was in February?
0: Yeah, and so it was actually block four um, and block five. Okay. So the pine stands on both of those, and um, also, there you know, there's a pine stand in the northern portion of block five and the southern portion of block five, but we also thinned out in the hardwoods between both of those pine uh, pine stands as well. and our intent with that was to release the oak trees that are there. So that was um, a hardwood section in between those pine trees. and we went in and we cut out all the sweet gums, the beeches, the maples, you know, the unproductive trees that weren't really producing a lot for the wildlife species that we were wanting to manage for. And we left all the good stuff, the oaks, the persimmons, the black gums, one to produce both soft mast and hard mast uh, for wildlife species. And then by removing all those unproductive hardwood trees hopefully those trees will produce even more mass going forward because they have more sunlight
1: okay so when you say release you're talking about just making room for giving some space to breathe
0: yeah because right now or you know before that thinning all those trees were competing with each other so any of the oak trees that were good producers they might not produce as many acorns i mean if you think about it you have an oak tree in your front yard oftentimes those are really, really good producers because they're getting full sun. They have open canopy, all of those leaves. Not a bunch of competition. Yeah, absolutely. Those leaves can soak in the sunlight, and they can do really, really well. But that wasn't the case in that forest stand just because there was so much competition and so much shade. But now, hopefully going forward, they will be released and and do really good in terms of uh, producing more mast.
1: It's funny, you don't realize how much space a plant needs sometimes to, like, I, for lack of a better way to say it, live its best life and fully produce. When I first started gardening about five years ago at my house, I had, you know, a couple of six foot beds. And I think I put like 20 or 30 tomato seedlings in each bed. It was very ambitious,
0: there you go. really
1: <laughs> optimistic about what was going to happen. I was like, well, the seedlings fit. So there's enough room here. And there was not enough room. And I had like one tomato and I was angry and I was like, what in the world happened? And it wasn't until maybe the next year that I learned like you're choking them out. You yep. know, I was creating too much competition and And they're fighting each other for resources
0: that'll be the good thing too about that hardwood section so not only are we releasing all of the good overstory trees you know the persimmons the black gums the oaks etc but we're also allowing sunlight to reach the ground so then all the good plants can come up from the seed bank and again that's just additional food and cover you know any quail that are there will benefit from it turkeys nesting will benefit from it um deer can bed there they can have a safe place to raise their phones and all of the above and we'll continue burning that area going forward as well so that way we can keep and maintain that herbaceous plant community
1: yeah so something i want to touch on before we get too far off of it is katie mentioned most of the fields at the point this year are going to be planted in beans this summer and that is probably the primary driver behind the reason that we have postponed our dove hunt for this year we've had quite a few people calling in asking um we're very sad to say we won't be putting it on this year and that is 100 percent due to the fact that we don't feel like we would have the quality shoot that our members have come to expect i know those of you who come out of the dove hunt every year it's something you look forward to it's something you enjoy and what we didn't want to do was kind of put something together halfway and you know we we're really proud of these properties in the sap program the opportunities we provide to you know that are publicly accessible for people to get out and hunt right here in the central piedmont of north carolina and we just weren't feeling great about the prospect for the dove hunt so we decided to postpone what we're going to start doing in the fall of 24 and going forward is rotating the hunt between the central piedmont and some of our sand hills properties to kind of get it spread around And that'll also enable us to maximize kind of our alignment with the farmers crop rotation that we have on those properties so we can make sure we're getting the right food in the field that's going to be harvested at the right time for an opening day dove hunt um so if you're missing that event this year if you're disappointed to hear that just know that i am too i'm a dyed in the wool dove hunter i love it i look forward to it every year i you know a lot of people think i'm crazy it's like you're pretty much just sitting in the field sweating it's hot you know it can be hot for a dog but man it's been a long kind of spring and summer give you Um, something
0: to look forward to the rest of the It's like kind of the opener for everything it's the opener
1: for everything i mean i'm a fall is like my season i always say that the I guess it would be Labor Day through about Christmas is like that's my that there does not exist a better ninety day the days of the year really 120 as far as I'm concerned and like college football comes back on that Saturday Dove season opens up that's that's like Christmas for me I mean you can ask any of my family members I protect the schedule around that weekend with my life will not allow anything to be placed there um so yeah I hate that we're not going to be able to put it on this year but really looking forward to the opportunities we do have lined up for you guys this fall something i want to mention real quick that's been kind of a hot topic of discussion for us is hog hunting at the point um you know katie has done a ton of work out there to try to help us get rid of hogs at the point and Katie, walk us through before NCDA came in because I don't think many people know exactly how this worked, like the trapping situation when it was managed by us. Because I, I, we've gotten a lot of questions. Well, why is NCDA even out there? Because they're a lot better at it than we are, and they can work. You know, be a lot more focused on it. I don't want. I shouldn't say better at it, but just man, I mean, you would get a notification at what, like three a.m. that the trap was full.
0: Yeah. So so the way it worked is we had several traps throughout throughout the point property and um, those are corral traps so what that means they're big circles they have a gate on those so for one we'd have to go bait the traps and that's something that we would have to do once a week so right there is a time commitment at least once a week us not only going to get corn but putting that corn in the traps as well And then um, from there, each of those traps have a camera on them so we can see when something moves into those traps. And that's something that's very, very important. A lot of folks don't realize, but feral swine are are highly, highly intelligent. And the last thing you want to do is educate any pig. Um, So it requires a lot of responsibility when you're trapping pigs. You know, a lot of folks that have just started trapping, um, they see five pigs come in the trap and they want to drop the gate on those Mm -hmm. pigs to be able to dispatch them. But if there are a a single pig, two pigs, anything like that on the outside of that gate, well, you just educated two pigs, and that's the last thing you want to do. So it requires a lot of patience um, and a lot of knowledge going into it to see what's actually using your trap so you can make the best educated decisions on when to trap. So you know, not even kid nearly every night, I'd be woken up between eleven and you know 4 a.m. multiple times because I want to see what's coming in the trap. Yeah. to see if I want to set that trap off. Um and you know you never know unless you're you're physically actively looking at, you know, the pictures that are coming in on your cell phone and then um you know once the whole sounder's in there would drop the gate and then that requires driving an hour to the property and um, handle those pigs because I don't want to leave the pigs in the trap, you know, making noise, anything yeah. like that. Um, you know, that I imagine pigs,
1: they could probably tear one up if you left them in there long enough.
0: They can, you know, usually as long as there's not a stressor in the area. Like if somebody was around, that would put a lot of extra stress on the pigs and they would be even more nervous. Um, but most of the time, as long as nobody's around, they just kind of hang out. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, you know, you really want to reduce the time that they're in there in the trap because that's just the increased chance that one could get out or something like that or just something could go wrong so you want to you want to make sure those pigs are handled uh, very very quick Um, so that was a huge weight for us at the land trust and you know took up a a huge portion of our job duties and you know in reality we all have so much going on and any time that we can work together with a partner agency or somebody else to Less than what we have to do, that can just increase our capability of other things that we can do that we want to be doing that, that's good for SAP members or the land or whatever it may be. So we we're very fortunate to start working with NCDA, and they've just recently started a program working on private properties to help deal with the feral swine issue because, you know, things are slow with the state sometimes, but they're they're coming around and understanding how big of an impact it's having to um you know local citizens or, or farmers or anything yeah. uh in the you know in that realm and you know they're causing a lot of damage on our properties um you know l- farmers in the area losing money anything of the above so it's really something that the whole state needs to be behind and um everybody should be involved in because it has it has wide-ranging impacts
1: yeah no and that's kind of reason i bring that up is because i know some of you probably saw the summer update from the sap so we have, uh, in accordance with NC Department of Ag's wishes, decided to no longer allow hog hunting uh, at the point property, starting with the fall draws this year. So hogs will be off the list of greenlit species to take at the point. And the reason I want to talk about that is something I'm going to get Jordan to chime in here on this, too, because I know you've done a lot with BHA. You spend a lot of time in the woods. It's, um, how do I say this? We, it's seen, hogs are seen as a hunting opportunity by a lot of folks in the state of north carolina and which i totally understand i mean we all love being out in the woods we all love getting out pursuing game providing meat for the table for our families that you know didn't come from a factory farm or a national grocery store chain but you know our duty is to be good stewards of the land and part of good stewardship is eradicating invasive species and you know kind of the reason i had katie go through that whole trapping scenario is to tell you that trapping is far and away a more efficient means of controlling hogs. You know, she talks about you wouldn't want to drop the trap on five pigs because there will be others out there that are now educated. It's the same reason you wouldn't want to shoot into a group of 20 pigs and only knock one down because 19 just ran off educated. And now they know to avoid things that sound like, smell like, look yep. like people.
0: And that's something that we were seeing on the properties. The the pigs that were there were very, very skittish. Oh yeah. And di- you know, they might be a little more difficult to trap and sometimes the most productive time to trap would be between November and, and February when it's cold and there's not a lot of other food sources. Right. So if we could capitalize on any of that, that opportunity there, it would it would be very beneficial. And, you know, a lot of folks are, are thinking they're doing the right thing. Um, and it's, you know, not ill hearted or anything like that, but just cause they don't understand they shoot a pig and they're like, man, I'm really helping the population. But just like you're <laughs> saying, you know, it's it's kind of counterproductive because you're educating the other pigs in the sounder
1: on the reproduction thing how quickly could 30 pigs turn into 300 like a year's time
0: super quick yeah yeah. i mean they're one it's they're so smart but two um they they produce so many pigs in a litter so quick and can have multiple litters a year it's just a a compounding um, effect over time and if you know that's that just goes to show how um, structured we need to be on our trapping program because any pig that is left out there you know or all the traffic trapping, trapping success we make can quickly those voids can quickly be filled if we're not staying on top of it
1: yeah 100 percent jordan what have you ever encountered one in the woods
2: uh yes actually with yeah. uh with my dog cal it was uh really it, it was a pretty scary moment and it was uh it was actually up game land story time <laughs> I love it. Um, so yeah, so I was by myself uh one of the few times and um it was just me and Cal and uh walking up the main trail and uh I see Cal go on point and this was not this past season but the season before. And um we were just mosing along the the main the main road there cow goes on point and I obviously think it's a it's a woodcock or something like that and I go over and then all of a sudden I see this pig just get up and start staring us down and luckily (laughs) luckily it was a it it was a smaller pig and so it just kind of scooted off but I was very very weary about what was what was around me because I didn't know if if there was a bigger pig and what kind of damage that can do uh to obviously my dog oh yeah they're mean
1: I um I've never I ran up on them I there was one time when I was hunting with my lab before this dog ham that I'm fairly certain he you know made himself big and made some angry noises before daylight and I heard a bunch of activity like a bunch of footsteps shuffling off from the direction they came they you know about 20 yards out and I'm pretty sure he picked up on their presence before I did and Mm -hmm. kind of went over there and made a bunch of noise growled and they took off. Um. But I've never, i almost, I don't know if you would call it lucky. It just seems kind of odd with how prevalent they are. Like, I have never walked up on one in the woods.
0: you got to get out in the woods more, man.
1: You think? I or think just so. right spots? I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or maybe it,
1: I'm making too much noise when I'm out walking around. Maybe I'm not stealthy enough. I don't know.
0: So it's also pretty interesting. And a lot of folks don't realize it, you know. And I've seen this multiple, multiple times in areas where feral, feral swine are. I'm always surprised that sometimes you can walk up on them. And, you know, you would imagine they would run away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen them, especially in areas that are super, super thick, they just lay there. If they're lay, they'll either lay there or stand there because I think they think you physically can't see them. Uh, Um, and I, I mean, I've got like a toddler. Yeah. I mean, I've got not even kidding 10 to 15 yards of pigs and you know, I know they see me, they're looking at me, but they're not moving. I think they're just going on the premise. If they stay real still, I'm going to keep going and they don't know. Right. You'll leave them alone. Yeah. I, I think a lot of folks don't realize that.
2: Now that last story that you had with uh, with ham were yeah. you, were you duck hunting at that time? I
1: was I was um, in a creek not far from where we sit. We try not to spot burn mm-hmm. if we can. I actually, um, just wrote down. I'm going to go back and bleep out the name of that game land. Oh. <laughs> um, no worries. Though. That it's kind of a fun. You know, it's more of a fun thing to do. But yeah, I um I was duck hunting. It was early in the morning and. The water was up, so I was like in an area I hadn't been to. Couldn't have gotten the boat to you know the week before that. The water was way up, so I actually that was a crazy morning because I drove to York Hill Landing and the water was up to like the hill that drives down into that parking lot. The water was about halfway up that uh, sloped driveway, so I was like, "Well, dang, can't put in there." turned around got back out on the highway come through downtown get all the way back up to Hannah ferry and the water was like I think I put in right about where that bridge is uh-huh. it was where there was enough water to float the boat off the trailer and like pretty much rode down the road across the top of Hannah ferry landing and got out into the river and up and found a creek that way um, uh-huh. excuse me for down from there and went up a creek but yeah I was sitting and I I don't I think they were just looking for somewhere to go I mean the water had come up uh kind of late that previous day and overnight so it was all brand new which if you know anything about duck hunting that's what i was trying to do is like we got new water that means there's acorns on the ground that are now accessible to these ducks that weren't previously accessible so we're gonna go try to get on some of those areas spoiler alert i didn't kill any ducks that day um I was so thrown off by having – that's another thing that, like, you, you got to have a plan B. Like, I was so thrown off that morning because my plan A didn't work. I was kind of scrambling.
0: You always have to go in and have plan D situated. Uh-huh,
1: yeah. Like, I was racing the sunrise and trying to beat. So, yeah, um, was definitely out ahead of my skis that day. But I'm fairly certain, like I said, I never saw them. But fairly certain that's what it was. It was making enough noise that, like, it had to be, there. Was, you know – couldn't have been coyotes. They're not that noisy in the woods. Um, so yeah, I feel kind of I don't know. I guess lucky that with well, because pigs, pigs will straight up charge you, right?
0: Like, I've never had that happen. You never.
1: You've always had them go the other way. Always
0: had them go the other way or stand still. Just yeah. like I'm saying. I've
1: heard the stories, but I've never experienced that it could either. Be like
0: the mountain lion stories, you know? Right? Yeah. You never
1: know. The old black panther that's yeah. all over South Carolina that you know everybody knows somebody yeah. that's seen one, but nobody can produce video. Never, never yeah. Have a picture.
0: But that's interesting, you know, going back to feral swine, a lot of states have actually totally banned feral swine hunting just for all the reasons that you and I talked about. But in addition to that, what they were seeing in some other states that I worked in before moving back to North Carolina, that if folks enjoyed hunting a particular species like feral swine, they would then start to transport them to other parts of the state where they were not previously uh, there. Yeah. Um, There are
1: some suspicions, suspicions, excuse me, listeners, that that's how they made it to the point before we were 100% in charge of that property. Yeah, Yeah. I mean,
0: those animals don't just get somewhere where they don't have any other connection without getting a ride in the boat. Well, they're not
1: really built to migrate. I mean, if you look at them, like, they're fast over short distances, but they got short legs, they're low to the ground. Like, a hog is not efficiently traveling any measure, you know, any, like, kind of... Large distance, long distance. I mean, what what do you? What's their range?
0: Well, I mean, it all it all depends. But you know, they can easily swim across rivers, etc. Right. But you know, they hang out in groups for one. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, I mean, they've been they've been in the area, Davy County, Rowan County, for many many years now, and they're kind of slow to migrate out. But you know, in reality, just just like the areas in Davy County, um, Anson County, wherever wherever they are, Hoopers balled up in the in the mountains they all originated there through um, somebody taking them in the in the back of a vehicle or, or something like that. That's crazy. But, and, you know, I, I still see it. So I still follow like a lot of uh, social media groups that folks are pig hunting, whatever, just always see kind of what's going on or if anybody has any new insights of where pigs are becoming established, whatever. But i'll see some folks in a county where there's not pigs be like man i can't wait till they get here because i want to hunt them yeah and and it's always that same story folks enjoy hunting them they you know they want that opportunity but once they're there and they're actually having to live with them they see all the negative impacts they have and how detrimental they can be to um you know a landowner's land or whatever it
1: may be yeah
3: the team at montgomery community college in troy invite you to get to know their forestry management technology program For decades, MCC has been helping forestry students explore this exciting, high-demand career option. MCC is located on the edge of the Uwari National Forest in the Uwari Mountains. The campus is situated on approximately 150 acres of timberland that is managed by the college's forestry program. Forestry is considered one of MCC's specialty programs with other options including gunsmithing, hunting and shooting sports management, taxidermy, and pottery. Visit montgomery.edu to see course descriptions and explore the exciting world of forestry for yourself. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break from the show to talk about one of our podcast sponsors, Backcountry and Beyond. You can visit Backcountry and Beyond at 322 South Main Street in Salisbury, North Carolina. It's just a walk down from the office from us, so it makes it quite dangerous to my credit card statement every month. Um, For example, I guess two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, I bought one of the Groove Life belts. I'm absolutely obsessed. I have considered throwing away every single belt that I've got because it's it's a game changer. She's
1: about sure. got me talked into one. She's yeah. not kidding.
3: I'm not messing around. I wear it every single day. It's the handiest, easiest belt, and I wouldn't have believed that a belt would change my life. Well, there you go. It's right It's right on the cusp of changing my life. Come I'd on say. down
1: to Backcountry on Get a life-changing belt.
3: For sure. And they've also got a ton of women's apparel that they've brought in from brands like Prana, cool heli hansen and marshware is actually coming without with a women's line here in april so hop on that train first be a train Exciting stuff i'm excited for that but they've got all kinds of great stuff they
1: do they've also got some great new products from traeger um one of which we're going to be having as a prize in our conservation raffle triggers put out an awesome new flat top griddle this year that's brand new for this spring and summer season so if you are not someone who typically is you know you don't consider yourself to be a lucky person just come on down here and see Jeff at Backcountry and Beyond and pick one up
3: I mean it's not even just the Traeger that they've got here that's awesome for cookware either I know at the front they had that awesome looking yeah jamon. the Smithy yeah, the the Smithy awesome. Ironware
1: out of Charleston um, you guys may or may not know this about me I have kind of a culinary background used to own a food truck was hoping to take it into a restaurant but the pandemic happened uh but that smithy ironware that is really nice stuff that's top notch you should definitely come check it out
3: yeah so stop on by at backcountry and beyond and back to the show
1: tearing stuff up um so that kind of brings me to we've talked about that a little bit And i don't want to spend the whole time talking about the you know what we can't hunt at the point so we're coming into this fall draw put it jordan when does deer season start when is archery is that september 9th it's not the first weekend right i'm not a huge deer hunter so i feel like i have to ask i want to make sure
2: uh archery I, season starts i want to say maybe the yeah
1: ninth? i think that's the ninth when that cranks up so we've got that going on um i what's your impression of the deer herd on the point katie how do you how are we looking going into 2023
0: there's still a lot of really really good opportunities yeah you know, i think a lot of areas there's just um folks don't hunt hard right um somebody that wants to hunt and wants to get after it i think there's a whole lot of opportunity there and you know this is this is no exaggeration nearly every day I pull up to the point even in the parking lot i'll see deer turkey something like that. yeah they're i mean they are there they're hanging out and they're, they're out there they're pretty prevalent and you know um i think one because it's, they don't they don't get a lot of pressure there
1: yeah i think what people miss on too is like if you're like me i mean you grew up in the south um you learned how to deer hunt over a bait pile that was the way it was always done by family members and I knew that hunted it was get a box stand set you some corn about 100 to 150 yards out there and just wait and um you know we don't allow baiting on sap properties and we i discussed this on a podcast back in June with John Shipley that came on but I would be willing to bet that the state of North Carolina probably sooner rather than later Because of chronic wasting disease and the spread we're seeing there, that that just totally goes away. So, if you're out there wondering like, how do I get more opportunities to harvest deer? Well, you know, learn how to actually hunt them and not just sit and wait. And so, read
0: the sign and figure out where they're moving.
1: Figure out where they're moving from, where they're hanging out. You know, there are natural food sources out there that they will concentrate around. Mass producing trees being one of the major ones that Katie mentioned earlier. Um, And you know, it's kind of I. I'll tell, I'll say this, I don't have like any bucks to my name or any deer to my name that would impress anyone who's been hunting for any amount of time, but the deer that I've killed, like on stalks of my own, rather than just sitting and waiting, I am infinitely prouder of those. Like I feel a greater sense of accomplishment, you know, just to kind of, you, you had to connect with the woods, connect with nature to get in there and get the best of that animal, which isn't always the case when you're just kind of sitting and waiting. Um, so I say all that for our listeners, it's a great opportunity to kind of maybe learn a style of hunting that you don't know much about. Um, and beyond the deer, you know, we've got dove season coming in and I know we said we're not doing a dove hunt, but I mentioned that there's a lot of doves trading around out at the point for a reason, because something I've learned in recent years is that you don't necessarily need a big field and a bunch of hunters to go out and get it done. If you've got an area that they're using and with the right decoy spread and set up in the right spot between maybe some water, some roosting trees, a little bit of food, some sand or gravel on the road that they like to pick through. It is not hard to scratch out a limit over the course of a morning by yourself. And I think that's something though, especially with dove hunting people don't, it's such like a social group activity. I don't, I I don't think many folks have ever considered that like, this is a thing you can go do by yourself. You just go set up in a power line, cut over or on the edge of a field it doesn't matter if it's been cut recently or not like they're around they'll be trading back and forth and man they love decoys
0: and i think that's something to, to think about too in terms of when we're talking about deer and how they're looking at the point um you know we have other properties too in mm-hmm. addition to the point that host some really 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 nice deer and uh low water bridge is one of those we put out some trail cameras last year and uh there were some big deer out there and we've been prepping for our archery tournament um over the last couple weeks and while we're out there working on the course there one of our guys on staff found a shed and it was a a nice one a really nice we have
1: a minimum requirement at low water bridge for bucks right there's like a minimum size yeah
0: yep yep um but this was a really really nice it'd been there a little while you know the rats had, had already gotten to it since it's late in the season but um you know just the evidence that we've seen from the trail cameras and the sheds that we find there yeah it's a it's a really nice property that that hold um, big deer and uh quite quite a few deer
1: nice and so as far as because that's a great thank you for bringing that up katie because something i wanted to talk about on this one that i sent out in my sap summer update was we've started releasing draw data on these properties and the point is you know the crown jewel if you will it's right here by the office you'll hear us on staff talk about it a lot it's a beautiful property but it's not the only one we have and something i found very interesting when we dug into the data of where people are putting their tickets during our fall draw or winter draw or spring draw i think across all three overall the point received like 75 percent of all tickets placed in the last three sap draws for three rivers 75% of them went to the point and 25% of the tickets went to all our other properties, which is like, I think I added, it's, it's nearly 20 blocks when you count like low water bridge and the other places. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of opportunity to get drawn outside of the point, Jordan, you had a muzzleloader hunt at low water bridge last year, didn't you?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, actually I hunted three different properties last year. And whether I was deer hunting or bird hunting, I always saw a deer, always saw a deer and you were actually with me one time yeah
1: we were at low water bridge um on block three we were doing a little woodcock hunt and I mean we were maybe like what five yards from that deer when it got up maybe it was close scared the you know what out of me and we just
2: saw it run yeah and then later on in the day after you left I went back and did another round with the dogs and then went back grabbed my muzzle loader and went and saw sat on a stump and I jumped a really, really nice buck. Really nice buck.
1: Yeah. So they're out there. Low water bridge is worth checking out. Um, and you know, something I think that not many of our members are doing out there, but bird hunting, um, Katie has done some incredible habitat work on our properties. Um, to kind of help with the quail habitat, help with that herbaceous understory growth that we love to talk about the early successional habitat, Um, which uh, you were just telling me about Smith branch longleaf got burned, right?
0: Yeah. So the whole, the whole acreage there at Smith branch got burned. Um, If you've never been there, that's a, that's a longleaf stand. And it's, um, there's some differences across the property. There's some areas that have younger longleaf, some kind of mid age longleaf and then some older mature longleaf, but, um, there's a plantation that has longleaf that's around five years old in the um, close to the parking area there. So that area is is thick. Yeah. Know? And there's um, a creek that bisects that really thick area. So there there could be some very very good hunting opportunity there. And like I said, that was burned back in uh, probably February and March. So everything's green and lush now and yep. um, starting that whole process over again.
1: Yeah. So when that dies back, that'll be. Primo to get in there and go look for some birds. Jordan and I, so we just mentioned, um this is actually before I started working here. Jordan, I had accepted the offer. Jordan called me and was like, Hey, I've got a draw down at Low Water Bridge if you want to go do a woodcock hunt. um And we ended up contacting Steely, who has moved on to another job, but I took over the SAP program for her, big shoes to fill. And Steely was like, Yeah, you know, it'd probably be good for him to go out there and get an idea, see the properties first. Mm-hmm. So I tagged along with Jordan. He was nice enough to list me as his guest. And, man, that was a really cool hunt. It didn't turn out like we wanted with the woodcock, but as I look back on that and really a lot of the hunts we did until, you know, again, Jordan invited me along, did some scouting, and we finally sealed the deal on Cheese's first woodcock that I kind of – I want to go back to a lot of those areas we hunted last year because I feel like I knew I know a lot more about it now and knew a lot more about it at the end of January than I did at the beginning of December. It was really kind of my first – into it, and I look back at where we walked and what we walked through, and I'm like, man, probably should have been a little more thorough because now I know how tight those birds are hold. Like you can literally walk within feet of them, and if you don't really scare it, it's not going to get up. It's just going to mm-hmm. sit right there and wait for you to walk by. And I got to think we walked over at least three or four.
2: That uh, that moment where you got Cheese's first woodcock. That I know that that was a proud moment for you. But yeah, it was a really proud moment for me too.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, it's kind of funny like that how. It's almost as much fun to put your buddies on birds or on fish or on oh, deer than it is yeah. to do it yourself. Or at least, I don't know. I always say I'll give them one crack. If you miss right. the opportunity, I'm I'm shooting next time. Um, <laughs> but, man, that was a cool hunt. We jumped a deer on that hunt, too. Yep. A nice one. Yeah, absolutely. That was me yeah. walking out. Um, And, yeah, just finding those places with that early successional habitat that Katie loves to talk about that'll get you in the bird. So if you are not currently a bird hunter, maybe think about it. Um, cause we've got quite a few opportunities on these SAP properties, um, to get you out there, chase different species. Like I said, we've got the August draw. The fall draw is coming up August 15th. So you'll get extra tickets. If you buy between July 19th and July, July 31st, but you can still get your tickets up to and including, midnight or eleven fifty nine p.m on august 14th and then we will draw on the 15th so keep those dates in mind um there's something i was going to ask you katie and now i'm forgetting
0: well talking about low water bridge real quick yeah Um low water bridge is pretty similar the vegetation type across all the low, low water bridges close canopy hardwood yep. so that's something to keep in mind whether that's you guys or anybody else listening um A couple of good areas to check out if you want to see something different at Low Water Bridge. Um, On block one of Low Water Bridge, there was an old loblolly plantation that had been um, clear cut before I ever got here. Um, But we've recently put a lot of work into that um, to go in and not only burn it, but to remove all the sweet gums that were in there. So that way it stays that herbaceous community. Um, So that's an area that will be really thick going forward. Um, we also did the same for the block two clear cut Um, we burned that this year so to kind of set that succession back there and then also on block four once you get back in from uh, block four there's some really 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 steep ridges back in there Um, and in the past they burned really really hot um, through prescribed fire and it really helped open the area up but we just went back in there this year and burned that whole block so um, going forward over the next couple of years, it's going to get thick back in there too. So nice. that'll be a, a good area to check out.
1: Heck yeah, Jordan. What are your plans? Where do you think you're putting in this fall? Have you thought about it yet?
2: Oh, I have been. Yeah, <laughs> all next is my best friend right now. Uh uh-huh. huh.
1: Um, he said he's not disclosing that. Yeah, not fast. disclosing yeah. that.
2: Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to a couple old faithfuls where yeah I, where I know that I had some luck and flush some. Uh, but
1: You had a really good hunt in January on one of the there was Rowan County properties, right? Mm-hmm. Which,
2: they, there was something about about these properties that just absolutely fascinates me. Because uh, no matter where you go, you'll always find something new. And yeah. it, I think the more you go out and explore, because like you said, is like, what'd you say, 75% of the draws were on the point? Yeah. Yeah like don't be afraid to go out and check out some of the other properties because it obviously there's going to be lower pressure
1: yeah
0: especially with us adding new blocks this year too so yeah the the point also has block eight and nine that have just been added very very recently eight was
1: new for turkey season right yeah yeah that's and that's the one that received like i think out of 548 tickets for the spring draw 109 went to block eight for opening week Of turkey season wow so if you put in for the new block for opening week of turkey season and you didn't get it and you're feeling a little jilted by that you're not the only one you and 108 others uh, did not look out on that one
0: i don't know if block nine has ever been hunted um for deer you know before we acquired the property
1: definitely not by an sap hunter i know some folks that had it during turkey season this year um and man i every time i drive down the road into the point there's something happening on that side of the road. There's animals coming to or from, going in, going out. They're around. That's an exciting one. I want to get in there and poke around some because I haven't spent enough time looking at that one and understanding it. That's a
2: good it. one. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a, I've got eight draws this year, and I plan on using every bit of them. Nice. <laughs> Probably between December and January.
1: Yep. For those of you who don't get the reference, that would be during Woodcock season. <laughs> That's Jordan and I's favorite new game to play. Um, he's got... Two English setters. How old is Cal now?
2: Cal is two and a half. Yeah. And then Remy is one and a half. Right. And they're half brothers.
1: Half brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So he has the find them and hold them side of the bird dog duo. I've got like the neurotic unbridled energy flusher um, that it's really funny to watch. I'm sure you guys have seen pictures of my dog cheese. And if you know anything about setters, you know, their legs are a lot longer. In a straight out sprint for maybe like forty or fifty yards, Cheese will dust both of Jordan's dogs. Absolutely. And it stops there. Like I a couple days early on, I think he learned about stamina and like managing your energy levels because he would try to keep up with the setters on these like big hundred, two hundred yard out runs and just couldn't do it and had to like go back to the truck early. Um so there's I a definite learning short day. <laughs> yeah, there's a definite learning which like I don't know, man. I We're learning and he's figuring it out, but it was hard not to get upset with that, especially because I have two young kids, full-time job, you know, finding a day in the woods is not the hardest thing in the world for me, but like, I, I can't go back tomorrow if I didn't have a good day today. Usually, you know, that was my day and we'll try him again next week. So a few of those times when he'd run himself out in the first 45 minutes, I'm like, man, I blocked out five hours of hunting on the calendar for us. What are we going to do now? Go get barbecue. Like just might as well yeah (laughs) sit around chill out um
2: the one thing i will say about cheese is that at least your dog retrieves yeah (laughs) he'll (laughs) even retrieve
1: squirrels on that uh woodcock hunt that i mentioned jordan before i even started working here brought me along on we were on the way back to the truck we hadn't flushed any birds we were looking at some likely areas but just weren't getting where we needed and all of a sudden i saw cheese perk up head towards the tree, his feet are on the tree, and about that time, Mr. Gray Squirrel came around my side of the tree, and it was in season, so I went for it, took the shot, squirrel hits the ground, cheese brought him right to me, and I was like, man, maybe I've got a squirrel dog here. He just treated a squirrel and retrieved it for me.
0: I thought very hard about getting a squirrel dog one time. Yeah, like a cur. yeah, Or a mountain feist. Mountain feist. I've heard a lot of folks say good things about them, but I never pulled the tree They'll put them up trees, Mm -hmm. man.
1: It's... He was into it. And it's funny, like, I, I think there's two, two schools of thought there with people who, you know, train and run bird dogs. I subscribe to the latter of the ones that I'm about to describe to you. But so many people were like, man, you shouldn't have done that. You just ruined your dog.
2: You, you literally looked at me when you shot that squirrel, and you were like, versatile hunting dog. Yep, VHD, <laughs> baby.
1: Um, and I think there's a second side of that where a lot of us, and myself included, that's kind of like an old school class thing. From like the gentleman hunter of days gone by where like if you were hunting small game, it's because you needed to because you needed something to eat Mm -hmm. because you couldn't afford to go to the store. So that was seen as like very low class and not something we do. So it's not so much as like my dog only chases birds is that I wouldn't be caught dead out squirrel hunting with my dog because then you might assume that I don't have money to go to the store and buy food. And so I'm out here looking for squirrels and rabbits to mm-hmm. fill the fridge, put food on the table for my family. And, man, I, I have not shot a rabbit over him yet, but I am positive that he will run rabbits. I've seen him do it. He'll get in and flush them out. The only thing that worries me there is, like, he's fast. Like, I've hunted rabbits with beagles, and you don't really have to worry about a beagle catching yeah. the rabbit. Like, the rabbit's always going to be well in front of the dogs. But in the case of him, I'm like, man, I, that...
2: He gets those spurts.
1: That could be a tough shot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's going to be... You're going to have to be real careful there.
2: And we jumped quite a quite a few rabbits on our hunts this past year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, thank goodness for the check cord. Keep <laughs> him from chasing. Keep him focused. It's a valuable tool. It really is, yeah. On that last hunt we had where we finally sealed the deal for him, I don't know if you remember this, he was frustrating me so bad, I ended up belly wrapping him mm-hmm. to try to, like, put the brakes on him a little bit, wrap the check cord under his belly so he would slow down and quit trying to keep up with your setters. Um, But, yeah, so... Really looking forward to this fall. And I kind of, it was either, it wasn't today. I can't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday this week, but I woke up. I, you know, again, young kids, like I wake up early. I don't know. You've got, how old is Nolan now?
2: Nolan is seven months.
1: So yeah, Jordan's youngest is seven months. So he's very familiar with the schedule that I'm about to talk about. But like, I wake up at five most days. Mm -hmm. My eyes just open at five o'clock because it's like my body has figured out that if you don't get up now, you're not going to have any time to yourself before they get up. And it's all about them. So might as well go ahead and get up and have an hour to like have some coffee, chill out, get dressed before a tiny human needs something for you. But because I'm up so early, you know, I always love the summer because like you open your eyes at 530 and the sun's up. It's light, yeah, ready to go. And I feel like it was Saturday or Sunday. I opened my eyes about 525 and it's not quite light yet. And that was the first time I'm like, oh man, fall's coming. Close. Yeah, it's getting close. we're winding back down. I, and my family members hate it. I always do this when we get to June 21st. Everybody always wants to be like, oh, man, longest day of the year. You know, this is – I'm like, this is when we go back the other way. Yep. Every day from now on is shorter and shorter and shorter until December 21st when you've got like eight hours of daylight, and then it starts going back the other way.
2: Well, and also the benefit of, you know, woodcock, quail, grouse, whatever may have you that style of bird hunting is that we're not waking up at 3 a.m to get in the boat no that's kind of nice i've enjoyed <laughs> Especially that with kids
1: change from waterfowl hunting to upland hunting is like you can leave the house at 9 a.m and still get there in plenty of time mm-hmm. those birds aren't going anywhere
2: no no rushing to make your coffee or get breakfast yeah. or anything like that
1: which i mean with waterfowl hunting it's a real thing like uh grayson guyer and i were talking about this the other day he's been on the podcast he's the owner of lost highway Gun Dogs. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't realize this, especially in the case of migratory birds, like when you pressure them, they're not necessarily just going to the next field over to rest. Like in a lot of cases they could get up and just be like a hundred miles South by the time the sun comes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always think about that in the context of ducks where like that duck may be getting up from his roost, flying here to feed. And then when he picks up from the whole year sitting on and heads on, he, he may very well be in South Carolina. Yep by the time the sun goes down like they're not necessarily sticking around so there's this like sense of urgency like you gotta and woodcock are kind of like that yeah they can just pick up and go one night i mean i think that ej blomberg guy on instagram that account is fascinating because he i mean he's got woodcock flying like two and three hundred miles in a Mm -hmm. stretch like they'll just get up and catch a tailwind on going this is a little like 12 ounce brown bird like this is nothing to it and they'll just get up and catch a tailwind and they're gone And yeah, I mean,
2: Woodcock season opens up in December, but I mean, this past December, I didn't think in my, what I saw, we didn't see a lot of that migration, but when January rolled around, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. They got here
1: late. It was wild. I was sitting the last day of duck season. I was sitting in our little wood duck hole at my family's property with my brother-in-law and he kept, and you know, I had not to tell a story on you Davis, but he kept being like, I hear frogs. I hear frogs. I'm like, not in January. No, those are woodcock. That's paint. Yep. And like, I, until I really started hunting them I and researching these birds, I didn't realize that like, I, there was a time at, you know, 10, 11, 12, when I too would sit in that wood duck hole and be like, why do I hear frogs? It's too cold for frogs. Mm-hmm. What's that noise? And then you realize like, that's the paint, That's that little they make. And they're all over the place. I mean, they were all around us and wanted to get back to them and come back and hunt them on that last day of the season, but had a family funeral to go to, unfortunately distant relative but yeah ended up having to pick up and head to another part of the state because i was that was killing me because i feel like i spent so much time walking with you And we finally found them towards the end and i'm like man all this time in the woods looking for one of these things couldn't find them and here i am there's at least four within 20 yards of Mm -hmm. me right now and i gotta leave and go somewhere else gotta pick up and go
2: well and it's funny is like when you leave some of the some of like the hunting properties and if i mean if you're hunting like close to close to dusk on your way out you'll hear that you'll hear you'll hear the paint, and you're like you Mm -hmm. you guys i swear yeah (laughs) Yeah. i was talking to a buddy i was talking to a buddy from maine and um uh he's a big grouse hunter and uh but uh hasn't really hunted with dogs he's always hunted hunted them on foot but uh woodcock are so prominent up there as well but he's never hunted them so we're we're going up to Maine in October to Yeah, it's
1: like the throwaway bird up there. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like they're around, we don't really hunt them. There's just so many of them. They would rather grouse hunt. Yeah. That's insane to Which me. Which
2: that's a missed opportunity to me.
1: Yeah. That's and if you're an upland bird hunter and you live in the southeast and like Jordan myself, you are primarily hunting public land, that's yeah, you got to make the most of your opportunities cuz that's like the one. I mm-hmm. mean, you you contacted a few North Carolina grouse this year, right?
2: I had two flushes. Yeah. And that was a very, very proud that, Which, time. like,
1: for those of you to put this in context, that is an eventful season. For a North Carolina grouse hunter, like, if you flush two over the course of a season, you didn't even have to fire a shot or knock one down. But if you flush two, you had a good season. That was eventful.
2: And we we definitely put miles on, on the ground that day. Uh, yeah. When I looked at the GPS, I think Cal did 15 miles that day. And then Remy did about 13. That's crazy.
1: I don't know if I ever told you this after uh, – the January hunt um, that you took me on on some public land, I was wondering that day, so I went back and actually Google, with my phone in my pocket, was tracking my steps on every one of our hunts this year. Have I told you? No. Where, all right, so all. what mile, and all of these miles, save for one day of walking, were put in Jordan and me with our dogs. What mile do you think I was in when we shot that bird? Three on the season we were in mile 49
2: oh on the season yeah on the season so starting from our first
1: hunt at low water bridge back in december to that saturday you and i had put in 49 miles
2: that's why i love bird hunting to knock one down that's why i love it yeah
1: that was fun it's you know means means a little bit more not to quote the sec greg sankey if you're listening don't uh send me a cease and desist for stealing your tagline there but it just means more (laughs) Mm -hmm. right absolutely All right, y'all. So with that, we are going to wind it down. Uh, Before I let y'all go, I want to remind you that the early bird raffle period runs through the end of this month. So that closes on July 31st. That is the last opportunity you have to get in for all the prizes on the table. And if you buy your ticket before July 28th, you'll also get in for our final cash drawing on Friday, July 28th. We're gonna draw at 10 a.m. for thousand dollars cash and a two hundred and fifty dollars Rock Outdoors gift card. So make sure you grab your ticket, get your name in the hat for that. Support local conservation. We got some great prizes this year. I know you guys have heard me talk about it, but it's my job, so I'm gonna keep talking about it. We've got a 2023 Jeep Wrangler. We got a 2023 Subaru Crosstrek. We got two e-bikes from Mountains to Sea e-bikes. We got three kayaks, just regular old paddle kayaks, and then we have one. Motorized kayak all from Old Town. Uh we got the Angler one twenty on the motorized side and then we're doing the Vapor Tens. We've got a ton of other great prizes. We have some trips in there for the special lady in your life. You could win a trip to the Grove Park Inn. You got a room, you got spa passes for two for the weekend, and you have two tickets to go check out the Biltmore estate. There's all kinds of other great stuff on there. Check us out at TRLT.org backslash raffle. Thank y'all so much for being here today, for listening in. Um We actually just saw some data recently I wanted to share with you all that we are a top 100 podcast in the United States for the natural sciences category. So thank you to all our listeners out there. Um, This is one of my kind of passion projects for the Land Trust. I really enjoy doing this. I'm glad you guys enjoy listening. Thank you for following along. Thank you for supporting local conservation. To Katie and Jordan, thank you all for being here today. Much appreciated. And we will see you guys next week.
0: If you like the show and would like the episodes to keep coming, you should know that our podcast is just one of the tools that we use at Three Rivers Land Trust to further our conservation mission. Our number one priority and purpose is to conserve land and natural resources for future generations and to be a voice for wildlife and to ensure wildlife populations have habitat forever here in North Carolina. This podcast is just a byproduct further that mission. You can visit our website at trlt.org to join us in this conservation mission.